I've been doing really well. So I was uh, in charge of all the Zoom classes online. Yeah. And I really went headfirst into it. I learned how to do animation, uh, videography. We started doing some separate offline videos, some promotional work, etc. Yeah. So I got a, a whole bunch of skills out of that, which was a, a really nice plus, let's say. Uh, my teaching got a lot more energetic. Uh, right, you have right. to kind of, yeah. I had to try to keep up with everyone online and kids. It's it's a different competition in the gym because you're just competing with whatever's around you. So, oh, it's either I listen to Coach Ricky or I look at this wall and punch mm. it. And it's a pretty easy contest. But when you're on the TV that they were just watching, whatever it is they watch these days, it's I can compete with Teen Titans Go and Netflix. <laughs> So then all of a sudden you have to be a lot more energetic to keep them engaged. But uh, it was a good time. We did end up uh, making some really fun games for them. Uh, yeah. We had to make them, it was very hard to make them chaotic enough that they liked it, but not dangerous. So one we were playing was uh, find that item. We made a whole custom animation card, have a whole segment of the show. And you would, I would say an item, you have to run and find it in your house and bring it back. <laughs> And slowly they started getting more and more elaborate uh, till the point where on Saturdays we had a parents and kids class. We do three items per person. And I'd say parents have to get like a broom uh, or a large vacuum cleaner, three towels and washing liquid. And the kids had to get a spoon, a pillow and a toothbrush. And it was just excellent teamwork at playing that from the. From the from <laughs> was that the skill that was the skill that you were teaching that day? Was it? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cooperation, teamwork. It just all meshed together. Um, yeah, I thought that was an interesting point about the energy on the Zoom classes. It seems like you need to be like an extra, you know, a few notches higher just to be just to seem like you're at the same level you would usually be, which is a bit it's, it's a strange kind of thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it does help that I'm an overly energetic person. So it was kind of in line with my personality. It didn't seem too over the top. It was, yeah. Oh, you've got the good personality for it. I think like kind of got that charisma about you. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Welcome back to T's Flirting with Ricky podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so man, we wanted to um, have you on, as I mentioned just before we started to, you know, give your perspective and, and what you've learned about teaching kids how many years now uh I've been teaching kids for about four or five years yeah four or five years and four or five years of teaching like what has become like a, an incredibly successful and, and competent uh competition team right thank you thank you um maybe to start off with though it would be best just to like list some of your jiu-jitsu accolades because you're not just a good coach, you're a good competitor yourself. Oh, there are not many. Uh, officially speaking, I'm a Pan Pacific champion in Gi and No Gi at Blue and Purple Belt uh, across a few weight divisions. I'm national champion, Purple Belt, state champion, open weight Purple Belt, and... Probably some no Oh, right. Uh, no accolades somewhere in there. Um, I've been competing at a relatively high level for a really long time now. And I'm in the unfortunate scenario of being just below some of the higher tiers that you would know is, oh, wow, that guy's really good. Right. Uh, 
So I'm fairly decent. Haven't won too many major things just yet, but I have placed relatively well at uh, some of the international tournaments. Awesome. And you're also um, a Gracie Baja ambassador, right? Yes. Uh, um, third year now. And for people um, that are listening and don't even know what what that is, like um, what, what is an ambassador for Gracie Baja and what are the things you, you have to do for them? Uh, Gracie Baja has opened a program where they'd like to support people who are sharing their values and competing or looking to make that into a career. So they have a, it changes from region to region, but Oceania, I believe, has 12 or 14 athletes. They um, check your points throughout the year, see how you've been competing. They have some basic requirements for training at home and, you know, being an outstanding person, yeah. uh, an upstanding guy. And then they, we have a little, we do social media for them. And we know stuff that we kind of already did because we like the brands. Most of us work at Gracie Baja gyms. So it was pretty good deal for us. And they help us support us with, you know, training for the schools, getting aligned with Master Carlos, uh, competition training, uh, travel expenses to overseas competitions and local competitions, stuff like that. Awesome. So thanks for giving a good explanation there. Um, getting more into like the kids program or little champions and stuff as we call it in, in Gracie Baja. Like what, what are you, what do you think like is the, the, the best points about the Gracie Baja um, program uh, for, for kids and what do you feel maybe is not so good? Okay. Um, I, or how do I say it's not sounding bad? So I don't want to sound like a sellout, but I don't think there's a hole in the Gracie Baja curriculum. If you include some of the homemade programs we've got out there. So as let's just look at a base formula, the curriculums of LC1, LC2 juniors, the LC1 program, uh, if I'm totally honest from what I've seen in my travels is just about the best program in terms of keeping kids in jujitsu for a long time. Uh, when I first started, I was a bit overeager and I think I missed what LC1 was really about. And especially when you introduce programs like tiny champions, where kids are three and four, it kind of exemplifies it a bit more. These kids were hoping get the benefits of jujitsu. That's why we, we want to see them in there. We want to see them learn how to lose. We want to see them learn how to win gracefully. We want to see them battle their demons and develop themselves through jujitsu but they can't do that if they quit. And after a while, I kind of realized it's not about me as a coach trying to force the kid to battle the demons or trying to discipline them too hard. The main thing I have to do is just keep them coming back because I can do much more consistent work with small conditioning and small kind of reinforcement over three years than I can trying to yell at a kid for three weeks. So right. I think in terms of that, building a basic foundation of jujitsu. So a kid has the awareness to later learn much more advanced techniques and keeping the class fun yet safe. Uh, LC1 does an incredible job. The problem to this is while it is such an incredibly well-rounded program for your average consumer child, uh, you are very, every now and again, going to get a freak of nature athlete. Uh, you're going to have one kid who just comes in on day three and decides to tell you, I'm going to be the world champion. How do I do that? 
and they start training six days a week and it almost breaks the program because all of a sudden it's not two times a week. It's not, Oh, I'm here. Cause I want to learn. It's no, these moves aren't enough. So the downside to it is once you start accelerating people, there isn't a uh, defined acceleration stream for uh, a competitive athlete students or even gifted students who want to progress just a little more. And is that now, where Sorry, go. Uh, that, that is where the comp team comes right. in, at least the one that I've made. But there, there was the route of doing private classes and I have no issue with private classes, but as myself not coming from the most affluent background, I never wanted to introduce uh, a money wall to jujitsu. I always, as much as I can, try to keep as many kids able to financially to come and join comp team and learn that. And I don't really want it to be an extra cost. Uh, that's like double your membership that parents have to be worried about. Excellent. Who are the kids that you feel, um, there's going to be two questions here and answer in which, okay. whichever order you like. Uh, uh, who are the do you, who do you feel are the kids that benefit most from jiu-jitsu? Like they get the most out of it. And who do you feel are the kids that become most successful in jiu-jitsu? The ones that get the most out of it, I was actually just having this talk, are the ones who are willing to face their demons the most. Uh, especially working with comp team, uh, you get a very large array of ages, skill ranges, and different mentalities. All these kids are phenomenal. Uh, but they approach it in different ways. And we were just at a competition. I was speaking to a dad and they were saying that I really wish I had jiu-jitsu, uh, but he did a high-level basketball. And he was saying, you don't quite face the demons in the same direct manner you do in jiu-jitsu. You get to face your fear of competition. You get to face your anxiety that you're not good enough. You get to face that you might not be the smartest person in the class. And the children that are willing to look at that head-on and try to work on it, will get significantly more out of it. Uh, so this is usually people who are looking to change. People who are getting bullied most of the time don't like their situation. So they're looking to change. They're looking to better themselves. And Jiu-Jitsu gives you the opportunity to face those fears or work on those problems day in and day out. Uh, it kind of brings out the inherent wisdom of your soul in a way. And who is the best at Jiu-Jitsu or who, who uh, is the most successful? It's a really weird topic because I've been trying to pinpoint this down for a few years now. Cause if I can figure this out, I'd be the best coach <laughs> in the world. Um, Ricky scouting. Uh, yeah, famous. I'm trying. I have like the Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that keeps coming up. Uh, I would have to say it's generally the kids that can take the biggest beating uh, a mm. really big part of my philosophy for teaching kids, especially in comp team is I do believe kids don't get a lot of opportunities to kind of fulfill that potential or realize that potential, especially when they're young. Uh, I met ment mentally speaking or in terms of mentality, I didn't realize who I was until I was about 18 uh, in a rowing program I was doing at school. It was through physical hardship and suffering. I kind of realized, Oh, I'm not a vegetable and I can do things with my body. And it was something that I'd never been shown or told before. Everyone just kind of let me say I was lazy. So I make a very conscious effort to push these kids well beyond what they think is possible, just so they know 
that it is possible to do so. Uh, the issue you run into with some kids, uh, it's a very large mental wall they're trying to break through. Uh, a lot of people have been told for, at this point, a decade, oh, nuts, you can't do 700 push-ups. That's not a thing that people do. Don't even, don't even try. So sometimes it is a bit mentally overwhelming, especially when, as a coach, I'm telling you, no, 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 you can. Uh, don't anything in your head that's telling you otherwise, trust me, you can do it. Just start, and when you finish, you'll thank me. And I do understand that can be very difficult. Um, so most of the time, it does just come down to mental grit. Your ability to train six days a week, your ability to get smashed six days a week, your ability to be able to suffer through these sessions six days a week to build yourself, uh, or even just to face your demons six days a week is pretty intense. So as a coach, how do you know when you're pushing someone too far and when they're just not giving you enough yet? And, and they're just kind uh, of holding themselves back. Generally speaking, uh, especially because I only have the kids for two days a week. So I can't, as in a, sorry, a comp team only has two specified sessions. So I don't have too much time to push too hard. We do have a, uh, a week camp in the school holidays that we do, which was where I was like, oh, maybe I might push them too hard. I say this with a lot of trial and error. I've tried this many times. The average child is so much harder to break than people think. Uh, I, I mean, average. We're talking about John, who's just come in, cried a few times, and didn't do the class. That kid is incredibly hard to break. A determined child who wants to win and compete, man, it's, it's a lot harder than people kind of believe. Uh, I've got not horror stories, but times where most of the time I feel like I'm not getting hundred percent, but there are some times where I've definitely felt, Oh, there we go. That that's the ceiling. We had, um, in one of our camps, we have a, a called the hell day. We have a thing called the hell day where we do a few days, you know, decent exercise. We focus a lot on technique and trying to develop them in terms of advancing jujitsu. But we always say this one day, all we're going to do is suffer. The whole six hours, we're going to have food breaks, but everything else is just designed to make you suffer. Not even make you stronger, not even make you fitter, just to make you suffer. Because we need to learn to be mentally tough and push through stuff we don't like. That's a very important uh, skill set and what I believe in for competition. Mm -hmm. And one of these days, man, we, I think we did, uh, we were doing a V-sit, pass the parcel sort of game. And you had to sit in the V and pass this ball around or foam roll around that was like six kilos which for some children that are 30 kilos a decent amount of weight and they I think every time they messed up they added 30 seconds to the timer and started again and i think they did around 48 minutes of v sitting straight <laughs> um so, so i'm trying to remember because there was a list of injuries that led to this final result they also did something like uh, 4,000 burpees for, again, the same reason. So their punishment for the day was burpees. If something wasn't done fast enough or incorrect, you did burpees as a group. Uh, and this is near towards the end. So their core and adductors are completely shot. They can't bring the knees to their chest and they can't extend up either because it's just essentially gone. And then one kid uh, at the end, we're doing on our knees and you jump up to standing. 
and I'm watching everyone and I can tell once they get this tied, it's, it's usually when injuries start to happen. So I have to be very careful. And this kid uh, who, yeah, man, he's a really strong kid, like physically just an animal. And I always knew he had really good potential and I usually don't see him give his all. And he goes to jump from his knees and he lands directly on his toe because he can't get his feet underneath him. So I just, I watch it crumple entirely. I was like, okay, that's going to be bad. That, that was not a good impact. Okay. He then looks at me as if checking, am I allowed, is that supposed to hurt? I can't tell. And I realized this, this is the same thing that little kids do, right? They look at you first. Am I okay? So I went with a gut instinct and went, you're totally fine. Keep going. And then he kind of started freaking out. He kind of realized himself, no, no, this should, this should hurt. I'm, uh, ow, it hurts. I don't want to keep going. You're fine. Trust me, it's in your head. You're fine. If you're willing to doubt your pain, there's a very large chance that it's not that bad at all. And he was like, no, I really can't even move my whole foot. Like this toe is completely gone. And I was like, ah, oh, stick with your guns. No, you know what? No, stand up right now. He stood up, jump. He jumped once. And I was like, if you can jump, you can do a sprawl. And he finished the rest of the hour and a half session. The toe was fine. He couldn't believe that he'd done it. And even the other coach was like, man, I saw him around that toe. I really thought it was broken. How did you know that you weren't pushing him too far? And it was a bit of just a gut instinct in the moment. You, you kind of feel it when a kid's at their limit. Uh, moments like we've had kids do, we had a kid do a 20-19-minute wall sit or a 21-minute wall sit with uh, literal tears like streaming down their face. Legs are like knocking each other from the shaking and they want to keep going. That's usually when you know that someone's at their limit, when they're still trying to do it. If someone is trying to fight you through an exercise, they're usually not going to be willing to hit their limit. But someone who's trying to flourish or prosper in a situation will usually give you 100%. Right. Uh, that's that's a good insight. That Yeah, I've not thought about it like that before. But it makes intuitive sense to me. Like I remember some of the times I've been like pushed the hardest, like um, it's not being myself that's wanting to stop. It's just like I've tried to keep going, but my body's just kind of deteriorately failing me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just giving out. Yeah. It's not holding up. Um, you've seen these kind of kids grow, uh, even though you're not like a parent yourself, you've kind of like seen them grow over like the last five years or so. Um, yeah. what's been that like? And has there been any kind of surprises, any things you've, uh, any particular kids you thought, wow, that's amazing how they've grown or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, most of them in, in total honesty, it does weird me out, uh, especially over the school holiday breaks, because I, for example, I know just about every metric about all of my kids. I've got height, weight, age, school, I like to be, at least for their competition registrations, well-informed in case their parents forget. And then I just like to talk to the kids about their lives. And I'm not used to changing those numbers. So the first time I did, I was like, oh, this one kid's 33 kilos and eight, cool. And then two years later, clearly he's not going to be the same. But in my head, he's still, yeah, eight years old, 33 kilos. <laughs> and then one day he's like, yeah, I'm 48. <laughs> Sorry? when did you get so big? Uh, so that was always for all of the kids, a big, uh, a big surprise for me. I mean, watching them, they've had different friendships, different dynamics. That's always kind of cool to see, you know, friendships kind of mold together and dissipate and little social groups start. 
But the biggest thing for me in terms of watching them grow is almost being able to help guide it. I get a very unique say in these kids' lives because especially a competition coach, it's you're kind of the go-to person for all their jiu-jitsu needs, right? Even if parents are like, you should have tried the coach. No, Ricky said this, I'm doing what Ricky said sort of thing. And that puts me in a unique position of power. And I hadn't noticed that until, I mean, I want to say recently, but in, in the grand scheme of things recently. And I've gotten to see things that I've pointed out to kids, like, hey, maybe you should work on this in your jiu-jitsu. Uh, maybe you're going to have this problem later down the line. Maybe we, want to, we could avoid it earlier. Or maybe, oh, I think that you are doing great. We just need to work on you know, your attitude towards nerves or your attitude towards losing or your attitude towards winning. We might want to restructure this. And then seeing it play out over two or three years is a really, I want to say intimate experience. I feel like I, you really connect with someone uh, when you get to see them develop, and especially when it's ideas that you've had over three years, it felt really, uh, I did, I guess, feel like a parent. <laughs> it was, you come on, come on, son, you got to get better at this. And then they slowly get better at that. Do your homework while you're waiting for class to start. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of that. I don't know. It, it feels like I've, I've taught some of these kids chess. And that for me was a really cool way of kind of seeing them. Because I, I remember they were seven years old. And they were too young to understand chess, or at least I wasn't good enough at teaching it back then. And then as time went on, you know, one kid brought in a Connect Four board, one kid brought in a checkers board, one kid brought in a chess board, and then I taught them chess. And it just, <laughs> it played itself out. What do you feel is um, when you've got a new student, uh, a new kid that comes to the academy, uh, what do you feel is like the most uh, important thing they get out of jiu-jitsu I'll come uh, into to class. clarify is this for comp team or for a regular curriculum just regular class for this one okay uh in terms of the regular curriculums the oh, most important thing i feel like the yeah uh i want to say that the gracie baja curriculum or at least the way that i've interpreted it strongly reinforces the values of a master carlos but B, uh, which I think kind of just aligns with basic societal uh, ideas, like school school rules, right? Uh, jiu-jitsu, the main thing it does, I've seen for little kids, is it does help introduce uh, controlled violence, I guess. Uh, how do I put this? There's a really good quote that I read. I, I want to say it was Marcus Aurelius or one of the old philosophers. And they were saying that, uh, if you wanted to build the perfect human, uh, all you would do is just make them do exercise and wrestle for the first 30 years of their life. And then once they turn 30, just cram all the philosophies in the world out into their brain. And they were saying that there's an inert wisdom inside your body uh, that's millions of years old that you only really access through conflict, things like wrestling, things like jujitsu, things like that. Uh, this is what I was talking about earlier about kind of battling your fears, battling your demons. Uh, the willingness or ability to go after that wisdom through battling your demons is for me the most important thing for kids to do. Uh, if kids were more willing to do that, 
I wouldn't have to show them that they can do things. They'd want to try. And that for me is the, this is my own personal thing. There is a separate answer for, you know, jujitsu for everyone. It's Gracie Baja policy or my professor. But I, especially right now, personally, um, on a very big, I want to empower as many children as possible into believing that they can do something. What do you think the main reason uh, most kids start jujitsu is? I honestly have no idea. I, being at the front desk has actually confused me more about this question because <laughs> when I was on the mats, it was always, oh, my parents just put me in. And I kind of accepted that as the answer. But then you get some really vague ones. Uh, there's, I've seen parents where it's like, oh, I just Googled sports and this came up and it looked cool. And I was like, what did you see? You, were, you went to our website. We don't have any videos on our website. No, the name looked cool. <laughs> so, so I signed up. Um, I think the kids that are looking for it, because I did a lot of martial arts as a kid, hence the Ninja Turtle thing, for those of you who don't know. Uh, and I think that it was almost as a form of self-empowerment. It was a way of bettering yourself. I want to be cool. I don't want to get bullied. I want to be stronger. It, when you look for something to improve for, then you know you go to media, especially when you're young and martial artists are always cool and badass so you go there so i think that's why I'm, at least most of the kids uh that tell their parents i want to do jiu-jitsu it's to better themselves one way or another either they want some self-defense because they don't feel like they're safe in their local environments or they just i mean in my case i just wanted to be cooler i i, I just wanted the kids to like me more martial arts can do that for you too uh some kids really want to develop a sense of strength Something like that. In the same way that adults feel fat and want to go to the gym to work out, I feel like kids have similar things. They kind of, oh, I don't like this. I want to work on it. And then jujitsu can be an option for them. All right. This one is a bit more of a, a selfish question uh, from me. But what uh, what advice would you give to uh, yourself um, when you just started out being a kids coach? Uh Okay. Oh, this is going to make less sense for you. Uh, I'll, I'll, can I give a little bit of backstory to explain? Go for it, man. Yeah, man. Perfect. So when I started, I had uh, misinterpreted what makes uh, a technique advanced or beginner. And I did a big evaluation in my third year uh, of coaching where I, we transitioned from a bit of a disorganized class into a much more, I wrote a curriculum, I structured it out. We wrote agreements for all the kids. So we kind of fleshed it out and organized it as an official program. But the biggest issue I had was I, in my head, I was like, Oh, X guard is advanced. You know, single AX is advanced. We're going to be doing Baron Bolos. That's advanced stuff. I want to teach the kids advanced stuff. And of course they're struggling because it's crazy difficult moves. And over time, I kind of made this distinction in my head between child jujitsu and adult jujitsu, uh, kid, Adults have a different mental capacity. They can absorb more information at a different rate in different ways. And these kids, especially coming out of LC1, LC2, just don't have the technical groundwork yet to build into something like X-Guard quickly. They, they just can't make that jump. And then in about my third year, uh, Professor Pedro and I have always, my professor has always had this disagreement about what to do with the kids team. 
Uh, and he would say, just take it back to basics, teach him close guard. And I was like, that's not enough. They learned that in that regular class, they need to learn more and more. And then it clicked in my head one day after way too much thinking about it, that what makes a technique advanced is the depth of complexity, not the move itself. So I was at the time studying some athletes, trying to figure out what I'll teach the kids. And I was watching one of Hodge's fights. Now I'd always heard Hodge was the greatest and I'd always, you know, seen like technique breakdowns, but I never actually watched a lot of his fights. And when I watched it, I kind of, yeah, I redid it again this year and it happened again. There's so many more details than I've ever heard someone tell me about Hodge move. Like, oh, Hodge's, you know, uh, two on one to the back was incredible. Look what you do. You pull the arm to the side and you go behind and you've, you've done it. And then when I watched, I remember thinking that's, that's such an undersell of what he's doing right now. There's at least five other monstrously incredible details that I've never heard anyone mention. And it kind of showed me, okay, well then if it's not about the move itself, but about how well you know it, how well do I, do I know close guard attacks or this or that? And then that was when we actually saw a very steep increase in skill in the comp team was as a coach, when I, uh, realized if I'm teaching them really advanced moves at one level of depth, A, they're going to struggle with the advanced move and they're not going to be able to deal with any counters. But if we teach them something like De La Hiva or uh, two feet on the hips or close guard, and then we cover at least seven scenarios, we cover different positionings, et cetera, and we find an easy way to teach it, they got a lot better, a lot faster. And they almost started figuring out their own stuff because they've now just got a bigger database to draw from. So uh, the advice I would give to me five years ago or at the start, the infancy of the program would be simplify your move set, become a better teacher, and then go five levels deeper into uh, complexity. What do you think uh, makes a good... Uh, kids coach Ooh, patience and I do not have enough of it <laughs> uh, a large dosage of patience is going to be a large thing uh, and this is for co competition or regular kids a lot of patience um, I do find that especially in in non-competition settings so the, com the competition team I treat them pretty much across the board like adults uh, like a regular strict adult class and most all of them keep up and it's great. The regular kids classes, uh, being able to have fun with them is a huge thing that I think kind of changes the energy of the room. If you can muck around with the kids and be stupid with kids, they appreciate that a whole lot more. I think, and that, you know, more willing to play along with you. Um, lots of patience. You're going to get a lot of kids that don't want to be there. <laughs> And a lot of kids that do, but just don't know what's going on. Um, ability to relate to kids. So most of the time you're going to have to build a connection with them so they don't hate you. Uh, kids, for some reason, inherently just, just tend to push you away. You start out on the bottom of the scale and got to work your way up. <laughs> exactly. They just, they don't make it easy for you. So you got to connect with them in some way, either be funny or, you know, oh, Pe Professor Pedro has we have very opposing styles. So I'm just a very funny over the top clown. And he's this very kind of uh, wise and serene 
uh, like granddad figure. They just relate. The Uguay like, uh, the, uh... Yeah, yeah. It's like the Uguay of the gym. They just relate to you in different ways. And being a good teacher, uh, which sounds self-explanatory, but there's almost a different skill set for getting things into children's heads than there is with adults. Like uh, a great example for anybody listening is try to get your kid to do a perfect push-up or a perfect squat. And if they're under the age of 12, that's a fun time. It's it's always difficult to, how do I transfer the mental image I have in my head into your head so that you understand that you're doing this wrong? How are we going to work on that? Uh, I think that Honestly, the, that, that one and patience are the big ones. But then if you can relate to the kid, they'll enjoy being there at the same time. Okay, man. Um, last, last little question for you. What, what do you think has made uh, GB Bondi's competition team so successful? I have been blessed with the most incredible athletes, uh, if I'm totally honest. A lot of the kids I have, I... I am not sure. I really want to go to other gyms to test this. I don't know if it's because my kids were just really determined, like they're just more determined than other kids, or if there are just as determined kids at other gyms that never got the chance to, you know, kind of show their wings. Uh, But my God, do I have some absolutely crazy human beings in that class. We have our first, like, Big one was Alicia, I think. She's Alicia and Kai. We have two kids that were our oldest students, and they've been uh, pretty actively competing for ages. The, uh, man, I've seen kids half, the, like a 30-kilo kid to a 30-kilo kid, and I've seen the 30-kilo kid pick up a 60-kilo kid in a suplex and throw him. Try to put that into adult perspective. That's an 80-kilo man picking up a 160-kilo man in a suplex and throwing him they're they're just beyond insane um and as much as i want to say that i'm an excellent coach professor pedro is an excellent coach these kids would have been national international level champions anywhere they were they're, they're the most exceptional oh, man i've done a lot of sports i have not met people like the kids i have in the comp team they're determined they're got incredible world ethics They've got discipline like no other. They have great memories. They soak information up like sponges. It, it, it's always been a blessing to have them all. Uh, but I do think that's why the Bondi team does so well. Uh, it's it's kind of like if an, it, the Mike Tyson's coach, when he got Mike Tyson, sure, they did stuff. But most of the work was already done. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel with the majority of the kids I have in the team. I just, you see them coming for that first class, like, oh, here we go. It's another Mike Tyson. Did he just pick up that kid, like, above his head? His, yeah, it's uh, it's all them. Awesome, man. Well, this has been really fun, Ricky. I thought, um, well, one, it's been very nice to speak to another adult on the kids' podcast because sometimes speaking to kids on a podcast, they don't really understand it, and then they give you, um, you got to lead that conversation quite well. <laughs> Yeah, got to hold them by the hand. Take my skill, tests my skills as an interviewer for sure. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, oh, I will. <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll say bye now, but stay on the line and um, we'll do a little roundup. Okay, cheers, Ricky. Do I get to say bye to everyone at Roundhouse? Yeah, 
uh, round A leads. Oh, really, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> round, round A? Round, round A, a leads. leads? Yeah. Round A leads. Adios, guys. You guys got a great coach on your hands. <laughs> See you guys.